It's Thursday. It's time for winners and losers on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Good evening, Ben. Good evening, my man. How are you? I'm good. What's the What's the uh, latest from you? Not a lot. I'm just sitting here with my list of winners and losers, and you and I were catching up about what was going on today. I think we both, we can have a shared winner to start our, our evening. You and I are both big fans of Arch Madness, and we love the fit of it here in St. Louis. And you were down there today for the big announcement. It's sticking around, which I love. I mean, Arch Madness to me is one of the best things in college basketball. It's kind of like the the pulling back of the first gift wrap on Christmas of the best year, the best part of the year for college basketball. It's great here in St. Louis, and I'm thrilled to know that it's going to keep going. It's it's such a tremendous. Well, first of all, it's it's the truest sign that that March Madness is around the corner. Their their tagline, which has been fantastic, um, you know, it all starts here. This is where it begins. This is where March starts. It's at Arch Madness, and this is. I have a feeling Friday and Saturday of Arch Madness this year is just going to be absolutely insane. I think we've got a chance for some phenomenal games. The top talent in the Valley right now is extraordinary. I think there's a chance, Ben, the Valley gets multiple teams into the tournament this year. And I'm not quite to the point where I, sh- where I say they should get two. But I'm closing in on that between Indiana State, Drake, who did lose last night to Missouri State, and uh, Bradley. I think those teams uh, have a chance to go and if they and if they don't win Arch Madness, they've got a chance to go, uh, especially Indiana State and Drake. Bradley may fall under the category of, of still having to win the tournament, but Bradley's resume is insane because they won six straight, then they lost six in a row, and then they haven't lost since. Uh, so a lot of interesting stories there, and yeah, I'm thrilled that the tournament is uh, sticking around through at least 2028, probably through 2030, if they exercise the two option years at the back end of this deal. I, uh, I got to bring up that game that you mentioned. I've watched Missouri State play a couple times this year. They haven't been good games. <laughs> no, not most good. of them. I saw that score there, and I, I was like, I thought it was a typo. I did a double take, but that's just a preview of some of the craziness that can happen in Arch Madness because there's always there's always a team that nobody expects to lose that goes down, and sometimes there's a team that finds its rhythm a little bit. In the, in the tournament setting down there. So it's fun, great players, great tradition, great teams, um, and, and great that it's going to be here in St. Louis for some time to come. So that was a premature winner, but I, I knew we both agreed. And 100%. probably both had it on our list, so I wanted to start there. Um, I, I almost want to tag myself as a loser here, Ben, and... <laughs> And, and my Come preseason. On, you never tag yourself as a winner, so you don't have to tag yourself as a loser. Well, preseason pre- now, Hey, we we we, uh, we sing the praises when, uh, and you guys were you know very complimentary. You and Martin both about my nine-win Mizzou football prediction. Appreciate that, but my Mizzou basketball prediction not very good. I'm pretty sure I said Slew would be halfway decent. Neither of these are are panning out the way I thought, and. And obviously with Mizzou, we'll talk more about them tomorrow night as well. And maybe I'll save some of the thoughts there. Um, golly, there's nothing. And I feel, and here's the thing, I really feel bad for Billiken basketball fans because these are tremendous people 
that love their program. I feel like so many of them have had season tickets, whether it's at Chaffetz, whether it's going back to when they played at um, at Enterprise, what was Keel and, and Savis and, and Scott Trade, going back to those days. I mean, these are folks that have had season tickets. They're like in their family going back decades for Billiken basketball. The fans are so loyal. And the product that's been on the floor here the last couple of years has just been incredibly unsavory. And this has been the worst of the worst. And if you're a Billiken fan, what can you point to to say, yeah, this stinks, but... There's nothing. There, It stinks. There's nothing on the horizon. We watched last night this Billiken team lose by, what, 24 to a Davidson team that stinks. Davidson comes on the road and beats you by 20-plus. That is a bad, bad sign. And your best player goes out and, and scores a goose egg in 30 minutes on the floor. It's like, what the heck is going on here? And... Again, I've got nothing to to say to make Billiken fans feel better. This is uh, this is over, and I and I I really like and respect Travis Ford, but this there has to be a change. And going back to what Desiree did to Conzo a couple years back, you you pull the plug because the program is in this type of state where people aren't showing up, people aren't engaged. And this is a historic program with a ton of legacy. You got to restore the roar, if you will, with Billiken basketball. And and I don't know, maybe you just wait until the season is over. But something has to change. Last night, to me, was rock bottom for SLU basketball. And there there have been some candidates, but you can't lose to a program like Davidson by a margin like that. Basically, cash it in in the second half and lose like that. It just it cannot happen. Yeah, I'm actually writing a column about this for tomorrow's paper, and look, it could have been a short column. Make a change. I, I don't think Flu's going to do that right now. They could at the end of the season. I can't imagine Chris May doing something in, in late January when there's games left to be played, and I think right now the hope at Flu is that something happens. Is something going to happen? I don't see it. Um, they They're healthy. They've got Sincere Parker back. They've got Brad um healthy. He, it's not making a difference. Um, their hope for next year, I guess, could be that Gibson Jimerson returns for like his seventh year of eligibility. He has one year left. He does, yeah. And they could bring back this, you know, they could bring back Brad and Sincere with Gibson and, and try to prove that those guys missing games, you know, had a disjointed chemistry level for the team. That's asking a lot of, hope and what else do you have beyond that and that's what that's what jumps out to me about the difference between slu and mizzou right now they're both having rotten seasons like there's no prettying up they have one conference win between the two of them so far um so let's not let's not sugarcoat anything but you don't have to look far at mizzou to see reasons to be encouraged about what's to come and it's in the recruiting it's in the freshmen it's in what gates has in this class that's signed and then what he's already doing in the 2025 class and there's none of that momentum going on at SLU right now. Travis signed has one signee in his 2024 class. It was a three-star guy out of California and that's it. There's no other commitments Um, and I get it. It's the transfer era and not having guys committed doesn't mean you can't go get them and you know SLU's had some good luck with some transfers. Um, They've also had some bad luck with some transfers. They've had some bad luck with foreign guys that they think are going to come in internationally and contribute. 
right away. And you have to have something to, to show folks who don't feel good about the product right now. And Mizzou does. It can point to these the future. Um, it can point to what Gates did last year. Um, I just go back to what, you know, where, where we were when Travis Ford was introduced at SLU. And I think if you would have told folks, okay, as year eight is winding down, you're going to have some really solid seasons in hand, but you're only going to go to one NCAA tournament. You're going to lose that game. And you're going to be, um, you know, having a, a team that, that continuously plays worse and worse defense as, as, as years go by. And probably the core of the group that needed to take, that had the best chance of breaking through, um, never did anything more than, than win a tournament game. I mean, that's a hard sell. And I think SLU fans are pretty patient. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of division right now in the fan base. There are some folks who are still loyal to Coach Ford, and there are other folks who are saying, hey, look, this needs to change. And unfortunately, I think they're kind of fighting it out with each other, and, and that's a stressful time for this this program to be. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, do you run it back? Do you, do you bring back Jimerson and, and Parker and, 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 and try to – figure, I mean, put it all back together. I mean, these guys are now healthy, Ben, and you lost by 20-plus to Davidson at home. I mean, this yeah. is th- – this I mean, team is – is horrific. It is – it's – and that's got to be the most distressing thing as to what's going on down there is that it's a hallmark of those early Travis Ford teams that won the Atlantic 10 tournament that showed some a lot of life late in 2020 that might have been like a last team in had COVID not shut everything down. But, man, that seems like a long, long time ago. And this team looks totally different now. And, there's again, there's nothing in the pipeline. There's nothing with this particular group that, that makes you say, hey, they can go out and, and make a tournament. And and it can't just be, well, next year we'll, you bounce back and, and we'll win 19 or 20 games. The, the bare minimum, you, you've been at this program eight years for Travis Ford, and you've gone to one NCAA tournament. That that is the expectation, and this team will not come close to that. And uh, right now, they're among the worst teams in the country. One of the they are the worst team statistically in the Atlantic Ten, and that is really difficult to wrap your head around. So I I, I think we've gotten to that point. You know, maybe they do win a couple games before the year is over. That can't be consolation here. This is um, again last night for me. It, uh, it it told the story. I know they had a team meeting, but uh, uh, I think this uh, I think the cake is unfortunately uh, it's pretty well baked here, Ben. I mean, I, I think that that's a very fair view to take, but I don't know what which way this goes. Um, I go back to last season when I look. If I were the AD at SLU, I would have made a change last year um, because I I didn't see help coming. A lot of a lot of positive things happening for this team. Um, you, you and I were on different pages about how this season was going to look for this group because I just, I thought last year it looked like that group was tired of playing together, and I didn't exactly see see a lot of impact additions emerging. The the quick trigger to endorse Ford for this season, they want this to work. They 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 believe in him still. Um, there's not been. Um, a bunch of barking from the from the boost the influential boosters at least not yet I, I don't know uh, but at some point the fans make the decision and there's 
the crowds at Chaffetz aren't good. The, the, the place is flat. It's a great place for college basketball. When people are fired up, it can be one of the best venues around. So at some point, the fans make the decision for the program. So I, if there is going to be a compelling case to be made, it's got to start now. And it's got to start happening in wins. It's got to start happening in guys who are going to be back next year for sure, playing better. And that's one of the things is, you know, a guy, one of the one of the guys they thought was going to come over internationally hasn't played well. Um, you know, unfortunately, it seems like Larry Hughes Jr. has kind of regressed. Um, he, some of the guys who who are back and have been around, their 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 statistic production is actually getting worse, um, which is concerning. But to me, the defense is the big thing, and Slew is now scoring the fewest points in the A10 and allowing the most. That's a really hard way to win, and this used to be a team that if it couldn't score, it could defend. It would defend and rebound, and they've lost that identity, and if they don't have another one, then they don't have one. 317th ranked defensive team in college basketball. That is shocking. Shocking, Ben. And we've seen those type of rankings. Usually those were reserved for slew shooting free throws. And, boy, boy, don't we long for those days, Ben, when we, the worst thing we could say was like, hey, this slew team is pretty good, huh? but they don't shoot free throws. That's what we talked about. That's what you wrote about. That's what consumed slew basketball fans. God, they're so bad at the free throw line. Wow, wouldn't they pay money to see that brand of slew basketball back where the worst thing was they were the worst free throw shooting team because everything else, they excelled at. And it just, it has... Uh, and I don't know how this happens, Ben. I, uh, you know, it's not like Travis Ford suddenly forgot all this stuff about basketball, but it has clearly compounded itself, and it, and and it's here now where your current team is not getting it done. They don't defend. There's nothing to look forward to next year. And uh, and I get it. Last year we thought there was a chance this was going to happen, but I think it's dramatically worse now. Just look at the stands. Um, look at the attendance, look at the engagement in this program. It is non-existent. It's apathetic. And apathy is is the worst thing because you're not even hearing that many people call for Travis Ford's firing. That's how disinterested they are in the program. And that should be the most alarming aspect of where we're at with Billiken Hoops. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think you make some great points. Um, I think to me it's really similar to what happened to Travis at Oklahoma State, where it was kind of like, you know, pretty set ceiling. You're going to have a 20-ish win season you feel good about, but not tournament success. Um, but a really high floor where you're not going to have any seasons that you're embarrassed about. Like, you can coach a long time. If, if your ceiling is, hey, we, we might get to a tournament or we'll feel like we're snubbed, but your floor is like, 20-win seasons and a top-half finish in your conference. If that's your bad year, you're doing pretty good. But one thing that that kind of trajectory can't have is a bad year in year eight. And it's really kind of similar to what got Travis fired at uh, Oklahoma State. And people can debate if, um, you know, Oklahoma State and SLU should have different, um, uh, you know, opinions or standards. It's not for me to decide, but I'll tell you this, SLU wants to be a basketball destination. They want to be a place known for its hoops. That was part of the reason they made Travis the highest-paid coach in the A-10. And he is. I mean, that, that's worth mentioning. He's the highest-paid coach in the A-10. The conference has gotten worse. And SLU, with an opportunity to be the crown jewel of the conference, has has found itself at the basement. And there's not – if there was a top recruiting class walking through the door next year, then people could just say, okay, just wait. And But I don't – it's the it's – the, 
combination of the expectation, the salary being paid to a coach who's supposed to perform at a higher level, um, the fact that the conference is wide open for somebody to grab hold of it, and the fact that there's there doesn't seem to be qualified, you know, exciting reinforcements on the way. You add all those up together, and I don't I don't think you've got too hard of a decision to make. I am curious to see which way it goes because I I really do sense that he's got a lot of support still at Flu, but we'll see. Uh, I I think it's a little different than when he was fired at Oklahoma State, Ben. In that I think he still had some dudes and had Jawoon Evans. If you recall, as a freshman, Travis's last year there, Evans turned into an All-American point guard the next year when a gentleman by the name of Brad Underwood took over the program. And Oklahoma State had the number one offense in the country and went to the NCAA tournament the year, the next year after after Ford was fired. So there was still a, a few pieces left in the cupboard. I'm not sure that's going to be the case for the coach that takes over next, they're, they're, the, the cupboard may in fact be bare, and this may be just a complete reclamation project. But I'll say this, as we've come to learn now in today's college basketball, Ben, as um, Dennis Gates showed us last year, you could turn a program around in days, in days. When you come, you show up, you hit the recruiting trail, and you hit the portal you could have a completely different roster in a matter of days compared to what it used to be. The old saying of, well, this is going to take years to rebuild. No, it won't, and no, it shouldn't. Not in today's landscape. And, that, that, and heck, Travis Ford could do that tomorrow, hit the portal. But he hasn't shown an ability to do that now for a few years. So whoever takes, if there is a new coach in this position next year, Ben, it, it's... It's not a matter of, well, give him some time to rebuild. No, it doesn't work that way. He might be able to turn this thing around tomorrow. That's that's the way modern-day college basketball and modern-day college football, to a certain extent, that's how it works now. And also, too, I think that's like the same thing for like the NIL stuff. It's like NIL is not an excuse for a coach, a modern coach, because that's part of their job. And part of their job is to create it, is to invigorate it, is to – um, grow it and also use it on the right players like that fair or not that is now part of the the coaching responsibility if a coach is saying well i don't have the right nil well go get it i mean that's basically yep, yep. what eli Drinkwitz did at mizzou is he created his nil um on the fly and, and it's paying dividends for him so you know there will be some consideration if slu makes a move as to should they go get somebody who's who's been around should they go get somebody who's proven um, in the past, I would get somebody who's modern and, and who's ready to to be on the cutting edge of what college basketball is working um, right now, because if, you're, if you don't do that, you're behind. Ben Fredrickson, Brennan Weesey, and uh, Ben will have a column on that up tomorrow, and we'll probably talk some more Billiken Hoops tomorrow night as well in our Mizzou game plan show. We'll be able to branch off, talk some more college hoops, not just Mizzou, here on the program. Ben, I'll let you guide us when we come back. Spent a lot of time on some slew basketball. We'll uh, we'll change gears a little bit next. It's winners and losers on a Thursday night here on the Big 550. Brendan see Ben Fredrickson alongside. It's our winners and losers on a Thursday night. The Big 550 KTRS. Ben, uh, I'll let you go any direction you want. You got a winner, you got a loser for us. What are you thinking? I'm going to go with the winner. And it's going to take us from college basketball into the college football ranks. 
I don't know if this guy is worthy of the job or is going to succeed in the job, but pretty good luck for him that he coached a couple games on an interim level and appears to be in the driver's seat to be the head coach at Michigan. Sharon Moore, who is going to be the ultimate winner out of <laughs> Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL. Michigan loses because it loses Coach Kaki. Harbaugh wins because he gets his shot back at the NFL, although I don't know that it's going to work out for him great. Um, San Diego has been a place that's been very hard to win. Um, by San Diego, I mean L.A., of course. Um, and, and I don't know that he's quite as minted as people think he is because he won in college. It doesn't always work going back to the NFL. But the ultimate absolute winner is Sharon Moore, a guy who got to cry on the sideline after his team won a couple games, and uh, now he's the head coach of Michigan. Sounds like is going to be, and it's one of the best, absolute best jobs in college football. So a little surprised here that Michigan doesn't seem a little more willing to at least see who's out there wondering how this plays out in three to four years, but it's good news potentially for Sharon Moore big time. And, Ben, it feels a little bit in different circumstances, although very similar circumstances as well, to when Urban Meyer left Ohio State to take the Jacksonville Jaguar job. You recall it was earlier in the year where Urban Meyer was suspended and Ryan Day coached the Buckeyes and and ran the table and actually had a lot of people very impressed and his name was being talked about as somebody that was going to be a head coach very, very soon. And wouldn't you know it, Urban bolts for the NFL. Um, Ryan Day is promoted and is still there at the, uh, uh, at the helm, although I guess with some folks uh, a little leery of his current status, but it's very, very similar here. Here's Jim Harbaugh suspended. Uh, more coaches. The final stretch of the year when there was so much heat and pressure been on this program, uh, stemming from the Connor Stallions situation. Everybody waiting. When is Michigan finally, finally going to wither under all of the scrutiny surrounding this uh, latest uh, sign stealing scandal? and lose a game and probably lose a game they're not supposed to lose. But they run the table late. They beat Ohio State. And it turns the the, the fortunes of a Michigan program that w- was suddenly uh, so vilified. They did kind of get that us-against-the-world mentality and was able to flip all this and... Uh, obviously, Harbaugh had a huge role in that. He was still uh, around the program, still coaching the team, just not coaching on game day. And then, uh, and but but what more was it? Coach Moore was able to do there on those game game days. It certainly mattered, and it certainly put himself into a spot where, if Harbaugh left the program, he was going to leave it in very good hands, and 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 that uh, Coach Moore was was going to be the benefactor to that. Yeah, I mean, if you're Michigan's AD and and curators, or do they call them up there, though, you got to make sure you're not making an emotional decision. Um, what Harbaugh wants doesn't matter. Um, he's gone now. He chose to go to the NFL. I don't know if they thought their search, if they did an outside one, could be impacted by what isn't known about the NCAA looking into the program. Um, but... To me, you're still Michigan. You're still the team that just won the national championship. You're still a, a job that many good coaches would crawl on their hands and knees. If, if they're going to make a hire without 
interviewing anyone else. That maybe seems a little premature to me, but it's, it's great for more because he gets a chance to to literally prove himself in one of the biggest jobs in college football at a time when you look around the college football playoff field, a lot of the coaches are gone. I mean, when's the last time we had this many coaches um, leave that were just in a college football playoff? So it's kind of a wide open uh, landscape for a lot of these coaches, and he's right there in the middle of it. But talk about a guy who improved his stock as much as possible with a small sample size. Would it have mattered if, if Michigan named Brendan Weesey the interim coach for those games? I don't know. Maybe you could have won those games and maybe you'd be the Michigan head coach now I, I joke he seems he seems um you know well liked but there's no way of knowing if he's going to be able to handle this anybody not him personally anybody who hasn't been a head coach sliding into that job I mean he skipped a lot of steps so it's great for him and hopefully he can uh, prove them right instead of wrong and, and really at this point and it's Michigan coming off a national title they could probably go out and get any coach you want but I do think there's something that comes with stability and continuity. And the and it's not to say that you don't change some things along the way, but I think you maintain a lot of that momentum that Harbaugh has, has seemed to, to find these last few years, making the playoffs, then finally breaking through, winning a championship this year. You hand it over to a new coach. It the momentum doesn't necessarily die, but that path that you were able to forge it changes. Ben, the minute a new voice comes in, and I don't know, maybe you find that the next Nick Saban out there somewhere that you bring into the program to take over. But I, especially coming off winning a national championship. I think it's a worthy risk to take to hand it to a guy that, yes, has never been a head coach in this spot before, but will continue a lot of the things that Jim Harbaugh did well, as much as it maybe pains us to say it, the things that he did well, he keeps that in place as he forges his own path as well. But I, I think it's it. Michigan's in that fortuitous spot where they can take that chance coming off a championship to where... If you don't win, if if Ben maybe they made the playoff and they get bounced in the first round and Harbaugh leaves, you're in a different kind of spot in a different kind of situation where you feel like maybe you do have to go a different direction. Here, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The momentum though was Jim Harbaugh's momentum. <laughs> I, I, I think. Now we'll see. Um, we also might see if they have a different or perhaps more aggressive coaching search once they find out what their incidentally penalties might be. Um, maybe more is kind of a safe play until they see what drops from the NCAA thundercloud. But uh, whether whether it's the right call or the wrong call, kudos to this guy because he got a shot. He, he won the games. If he would have gone 0-2 or whatever he did in those games, then uh, no chance, right? <laughs> but he kept it rolling, and he, and he kept the team on track despite a bunch of distractions. Um Either the, the, the clips of him crying in the post-game interviews will be looked at <laughs> funny um, if it doesn't work, or maybe it could be looked at as the start of a, of a heroic coaching career. We'll see, but he's, he's the biggest winner in all of this. Michigan no, won right. the title, but their future is up in the air without Harbaugh. Harbaugh's future is up in the air. Moore is the guy who's the biggest winner here out of this whole Michigan shakeup with uh, Harbaugh leaving. 
Ben, uh, I'll, I'll throw a winner in here for you, and I think, man, I think it's got to be the Milwaukee Brewers when it comes to baseball, at least this week, in, in hitting um, hitting a, a real nice jackpot in the, the free agency realm, getting Reese Hoskins, big first baseman from the Philadelphia Phillies, if healthy, you're talking about a guy that hasn't been healthy very much. And big strikeout guy, but for a relatively low-risk price, they bring in to a ballpark that Hoskins could just have a field day in. We're talking about a potential 40-plus home run guy if he plays 150 games, Ben, and it almost seems like he just landed in Milwaukee's lap. Yeah, this is a move that you go, okay, finally the Brewers did something. We talked a little bit. I guess it was last week about kind of sort of the curious moves they've made where they've been adding a bunch of guys who have kind of, I guess, been like almost like dented can MLB players, guys with minor league options left that have struggled elsewhere that I think they think they can fix or if not, you know, send back down to the, to the minors. But this is kind of their first move, and they love these guys, these guys with big power. They can put it first base, love their ballpark, and this is the first move you kind of go, okay, this, this makes sense. For Milwaukee, this makes them a little bit tougher of a team to play against. And now we've seen the Pirates make a move with Chapman. We've seen the the Brewers make this move. Um, the Reds have made their moves previously. They've been one of the more aggressive teams. So it took a while, but uh, Major League Baseball, at least in the Central, kind of finally woke up a little bit. And if there's one benefit to this slow market, man, it means we're going to see more because a lot of these guys are still out there. I don't know if any of them are going to come to the Central, but you look at some of the free agents that are still out there, and it's it's pretty weighty. I mean, Scott Boris has the bulk of his top clients still available. Um, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, um, Cody Bellinger. Um, there's there's some serious difference-making players still available, and it's going to be kind of rapid fire here. I think once things once things get closer to report dates, because some of these guys are going to start getting anxious. I'm curious to see if the Brewers keep going, or if uh, perhaps one of these teams. Maybe it's the Cubs. I don't know. It could be the Cardinals. It should be the Cardinals that go out and say, okay, we're going to change our plans because there's maybe some guys who are having to go for, for cheaper deals or at least shorter-term deals that it's there's too many good players left out there to not tack something on if you're a team that's trying to win this division. I, I, I just think – I think Hoskins one of the more underrated players out there. I mean, li- I've, because of the strikeouts – I, I think he becomes a little underrated, but for somebody that has battled injuries, but other times he's been, I mean, 2022, 2018, 2019, dude had 660, 705, and 672 plate appearances. That's a guy that plays every day and then some, Ben. And then listen to his OPS plus for the six years of his career. 162, and that was in a, his debut in 17, but 162 jumps out at you. 162, 125, 111, 138, 129, 123. Dude has been incredibly consistent, and OPS Plus, I think, is a really, really good North Star to go off of for power hitters like this because, yeah, the strikeouts are there, but 
guy led the lead in walks in 2019, 116 times. This is not your prototypical uh, windmill type of power hitter that's going to hit 40 home runs but strike out and not get on base elsewhere. He can do all of that stuff. Not particularly adept at hitting for average, but he's been consistent last three years in Philly. 245, 247, 246, 246 in 2018. Uh, 226 and 2019 is kind of the outlier here, Ben. You kind of know what you're getting. The only risk is that he's coming off injury, but it isn't a pitcher. This isn't a guy that utilizes his speed as part of his game. I think the power is going to hang. And, you know, Philly's a good home run hitting ballpark, but Milwaukee's better. And I think he could put up some scary numbers there. And uh, I, I like uh, I like the lineup with Hoskins right in the middle of it there for the Brewers. I think it's a quality low risk move. Didn't qua- didn't cost the Brewers hardly anything. No, nice deal. And here's the deal: yeah, he missed all of last year with that. I think he tore his knee up. Yeah, he did. They thought that if they got to the World Series, he might have been activated. Um, so yeah. it's not yeah. like he's doing it this off season. He's he was basically ready to roll by the end of the postseason, which means that they should be getting him not only healthy, but fully rested for an entire season not of playing. I mean, you mentioned the OPS Plus. He's been like 25% above league average for his career. Um, that's six season. He still should have some, some pop. The guy's a 492 slugging for his career going to a ballpark where guys love to hit. That's one thing you hear about about playing for the Brewers and playing against them there in Milwaukee is people love to hit there. It's something with the batter's eye. They can see the ball better. He he could go bonkers this season on a on a bargain deal. And almost, almost I know that didn't happen, but it was almost as if some teams kind of maybe forgot that he was out there. Maybe they had Agreed. concerns about the knee. But uh, here's the deal, man. If he can't play first base, fine. You let him DH, and you can do that now in the National League. So this makes this makes Milwaukee a more dangerous team. Um, if nothing else, if you're out of it, if you're Milwaukee and you're out of it, you're not as competitive, you know, um, this year with a new manager and it's a little bit of a, a bit of a refresh. This is a contract you could trade. Two year thirty four mil, that's a you could get a good deal on that as kind of a rental plus for him if you're if you're looking to retool. I mean it's a smart move. I hope I hope that the Cardinals see a deal like that and go, hmm is there a starting pitching version of that? Um, I don't know. Like this, I don't think Jordan Montgomery's market is going to crater. Um, but say that he doesn't get what he wants. Um, here, w- would you, if you're Jordan Montgomery, and you're not getting the deal you wanted, and Scott Boris is telling you, hey, maybe you look at something a little shorter term. Maybe it's a maybe it's kind of a, a not a not a pillow contract, but a, a little bit. Maybe if you change what you were thinking. Wouldn't you want to go to a place where you've been before? I, I don't know, but there's going to be there's too many good pitchers left to, for the Cardinals not to feel like they can maybe do a little bit more. Now I don't they maybe they don't agree with that. They keep saying they're going to add at least a reliever, but a deal like this should I think make other teams in the Central say, hey, maybe we thought we were done, but maybe we shouldn't be. And I don't think the Cardinals are done, but they keep talking about relievers, relievers. I wish they would look a little bit beyond that because there's too many good players still left to shut everything down other than your bullpen. I mean, what kind of – I mean, because you're not going to – I don't know if you get a two-year 34 mil on a, on a starting pitcher like Jordan Montgomery, but what is a re, what could be a reasonable contract – what could be reasonable contract terms for Jordan Montgomery that could make the Cardinals jump back in and say, hey, let's kick the tires here again? Yeah, I don't know because they act like they are – they're acting like they're not even – you know, open to the idea of doing more for the rotation. But what about Woodruff? Like, 
somebody is going to, it won't be Snell, but somebody is going to have to settle for less. Somebody's going to have to be a bargain. There's, there's too many guys left, and it's too late. If the Cardinals want quality starts, if that's what they're hammering on the rotation, Woodruff, Woodruff can do that. He's, he would be worth, you'd be worth taking, um, you know, and, and, and same thing. If the Cardinals get derailed this year like they did last year, then you got guys you could trade and make, you know, make Steven Matz that reliever. But I, I just, you look at the available free agents, man, there's too many good players left for a team that really is trying to win this division to be done and standing down because things change and sometimes you got to change with them. You can't put your chips off the table when there's this many guys out there. You got to tack something on. And maybe it's not one reliever, maybe it's two because there's a bunch of dang good relievers still left. Now they're starting to move, they're starting to go, but you look at the available free agents and there's just there's a there's a great amount of guys who could be difference makers who don't know where they're going to be playing next season. And they're supposed to report in, you know, less than three weeks. Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Brendan Weesey. It's our winners and losers wrapping up the show when we come back after this. Brendan and Ben Fred with you. It's our winners and losers on the big sports show here on the Big 550 KTRS. We have uh, scoured the grounds here, Ben. I I'm giving you the honors. You've got a chance at a winner or a loser to close us out or to come close to closing us out here on this Thursday okay. night. I got a winner and a loser. Sweet. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you're following this. You and I are not, you know, Mr. NBA, but uh, sometimes we get a chance to talk NBA and our winners and losers. Did you see the, I would say, the the flutter of, of intrigue around the news that Doc Rivers was going to be the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks? I know he's he's taking the job, but uh, expound. Okay, so TNT NBA on TNT was doing the uh, was doing the show, and they read a report. Hey, you know this is happening. Doc Rivers is taking the job, and they attributed it to CNN Sports. Oh, which everyone's kind of like, wait, CNN Sports? What's that about? Well, I don't know who at CNN, but somebody at CNN broke the news. Doc Rivers was, was, was got the job, and they fed it to NBA. They, they're partners with TNT. They yep. fed it to TNT. Get this, because they didn't want to break into their election coverage to report on something happening in the NBA. But it was legit. They were out in front of it. They got it. They had a story on their website on CNN, of all places, and they fed it to their TV partner who reported it as such. How much credit did CNN Sports get for breaking the news of, of Doc Rivers hire. Zero. Because every NBA insider, um, all the woges and the shams and the people who make their career tweeting out news um, and never writing it, but fighting over credit for every little morsel of news they break off, all refuse to acknowledge the fact that they got scooped by somebody who maybe... Doc Rivers' cousin or somebody who works at, <laughs> at CNN. But I always get a kick out of that. When you see big national news broken by somebody who's unpredicted, sometimes it happens from, like, Reddit users, you know, and all of the national, you know, newsbreakers just pretend it didn't happen and didn't exist. And I love that CNN tweeted out the original story and said, you know, in case you missed it. It's like dunking <laughs> on the, the woges of the world because they were uh, they were refusing to credit CNN for breaking the news. So kudos to CNN 
And also, um, you know, I thought it was pretty baller that they thought, yeah, this is news, but, you know, we'll just feed it to our TV partner. Well, and kudos to CNN Sports, which at last check I don't think exists. So that's also <laughs> pretty pretty huge that they could then make that report and not even be in an entity is, is pretty yeah. incredible. The story, the news story, this is like inside baseball journalism, but the story actually breaking the news was written by CNN staff was the byline. <laughs> like, CNN staff is like what people write. It's like post-dispatch staff when you have to like file a brief that nobody wants to take credit for. It's like, yeah, the I-70 is closed for three hours, CNN staff. Um, yeah, so by the way, huge co- huge coaching hire in uh, in sports, uh, CNN sports. So I just thought that was funny. It's always funny to see the... Uh, the, uh, the 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 great newsbreakers who spend all day fighting about who got what first um, when they just choose to ice somebody out and get called out for it. Well, you've got about a minute to close us out here, sir. What do you got? Well, that was my final one. Oh, I thought you had. I thought you had a wa- Oh, I thought that was a winner. And so no, that no, was a my winner. Winner was CNN Sports. My loser oh, was, uh, was well, that, all the, the newsbreakers. Well, that but, does uh, make sense. Well, that can't close us out then, right there. Uh, I think well, that's I'll, perfect. I got one more loser. The NFL. Atlanta Falcons, who've managed to, I think, interview like 17 people for their job and hire no one. <laughs> How does that happen? Yeah, well, it um, it happens it happens to the Falcons apparently, and I uh, I wonder if they're I wonder if they'll wind up. I wonder if they'll finally end up just hiring Belichick, right? I don't know. Maybe they probably should, but it's goofy that you've hired Belichick and Vrabel and hired yeah. neither of them, and. Uh, <laughs> Hard to believe one of those guys isn't worthy of, of getting that job. But uh, NFL, strange, strange league, and uh, maybe they just forgot to offer it to somebody. No, that wouldn't uh, wouldn't shock me. We'll look for your column on uh, Billiken basketball and Mizzou basketball tomorrow, Ben, and we'll uh, we'll do a little Mizzou game plan tomorrow night. Sounds good, man. Talk to you then. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. Uh, we're coming back eight o'clock hour. Benji Molina, Luke Korak, with me. We'll talk some baseball. We'll talk some hockey. Don't go anywhere here in the Big Five Fifty.